This is a Saddleback Church podcast. There are times in your life, times that everybody goes through, where things are not going the way you planned. An unexpected diagnosis, losing a job, tragic news of some kind. The common thread here is the loss of a dream or a vision and the painful reality that you found yourself on a harder road. What should you do when you find yourself on this road? How do you endure hardship? My guest today is Philip Conjolier. Philip was a pastor at Saddleback Church for many years before leaving to start a nonprofit ministry called Love Multiplies that cares for people going through infertility and adoption. Philip and his wife Alex have their own incredible story of infertility and adoption, which they chronicle on their popular YouTube channel, Phil and Alex. Now, full disclosure, Philip and Alex are some of my wife and my best friends, so you'll hear some stories about that in this conversation. Phil and I talk about what their infertility and adoption journeys have been like, what enduring hardship has looked like for them during different seasons, and the many lessons he's learned along the way that he wants to share with anybody who right now finds themselves on the road they wish they didn't have to walk. My name is Jason Wheeland, and this is Doable Discipleship, a Saddleback Church podcast designed to help you deepen your friendship with God. Now, my conversation with Philip Conjolier. Philip Conjolier, how are you today? I'm doing excellent, my friend. We've talked about doing this for many, many years, yeah. and I'm glad that it's finally happening. <laughs> Thanks for being here. And, and in person, this is amazing. I know. It's uh, it's it's 2,000 miles away, but it still feels like home. That's I'm sure it does. And that was clear when you came into the church building to, to record <laughs> this. <laughs> A lot of friends. A lot of friends. Um, so, okay. So, for... Uh, people who aren't familiar with uh, your and Alex's story, can you, I'm sure there's like an hour long version of your story. Oh, yeah. Can you give us like the few minute version the of, of this, the, yeah, of the story kind of, you, you know, your timelines, your story as it relates to uh, your infertility and adoption journey. Sure. Yeah. So we got married um, in 2011 and shortly after we had graduated and said, oh my gosh, it's going to be so much fun. Marriage is going to be amazing. Let's take a, um, let's take a year to just have uh, adventure. And so we said with all um, of the glimmer of, you know, adolescent youth and optimism that <laughs> in a year we'll start a family. Yeah. A year turned into uh, technically eight years. Um, but there was some incredible blessings along the way in that adventure. And so we discovered about year one, um, okay, let's start a family. Year two, it wasn't working. Year three, what's going on? And so we went down that road that a lot of people go through, yeah. infertility, uh, the doubting, the hopelessness, the comparison to the friends, the the what could happen, where could this lead us in every single question yeah. um, in the mind uh, through that first few years of marriage. 
uh, I was pastoring here um, at Saddleback Church at the time, and um, we had a Mother's Day service that I was uh, hosting. We were going through um, giving away flowers and uh, celebrating mothers, and the message was just so perfect to all types of motherhood. Um, and I recall meeting um, this young gal uh, on the patio, mm-hmm. and she, eight days later, ended up by the most miraculous um, sets of events, becoming the birth mother mm-hmm. of my now oldest daughter, Kinsley. Yes. Uh, from there, we began sharing our journey of infertility um, and adoption online through a thing called YouTube. Yeah, heard of it. This podcast appears on it. Ah, yes. (laughs) And so by sharing that journey, we got connected to another um, gal that was looking to place a child. And then um, a handful of months later, we had adopted my second, um, Callie. Mm -hmm. Uh, We went through the process of raising them and also trying to still build our family. Yeah. As you know, adoption can be straightforward. It cannot be straightforward. It can be um, have all, all many different. Um, I, I let me say it this way: uh, adoption, as a whole, which I could speak on for hours and hours, um, is such an incredible blessing. But it comes out of pain. It's birthed out of pain, and so everyone's adoption journey is completely different. Yeah. Um. In that, we tried to continue to build our family, and we ended up, um, through infertility treatments, um, having three years ago um, our youngest daughter, Cassidy. Yeah, yeah, and and that's the that's the part of the story is that even all this beautiful adoption work was happening, right? And all the while, there was still going on the infertility side of things too was still was still right. going on still all the doctor's appointments all the yep. treatments all of the different plans all that different stuff yeah um those were all happening su- su- simultaneously. simultaneously correct so i wanted to focus first on the um on the early years yes of the infertility part so what was it like to learn that this was going to be a part mm-hmm. of your story i'm sure you know you had a dream a vision for what your life would be yeah. And then all of a sudden there's this roadblock mm-hmm. towards in that dream. Things are not quite what right. it seems. So how did it, I'm curious if you could, if you could talk about how, uh, how that was when you first learned about this uh, change of direction a little bit and then how it affected your relationship with Alex, your wife. So I would say, um, There's two paths, uh, well, technically three, in a marriage. You have the isolation of the man in his life. You have the isolation of a woman in her life. And then you have this relationship of unity that happens together. Yeah. As a man, uh, infertility as a whole was so foreign to me. Mm. So it took me a few years to really understand my wife. Uh, I didn't understand the tears. I didn't really understand the um, hopelessness that came can come along with it. I didn't understand the depression. I didn't understand the anxiety and the worry. Yeah. 
it wasn't really until um, year, let's call it year two of going through infertility that it really, that the gravity and the weight of that really fell upon me. So here I am, this young, young male who's trying to raise, you know, a, a home and to provide for the family to, um, to try and um, build a life with this woman who I had been married to for such a short time. And we are, I'm watching her um, go through this incredibly difficult process. All while I'm supposed to be positive, upbeat, sure. try to carry her through. And all while I have a very distinct disconnection from the illness or disease or whatever you may call infertility as a whole. Yeah. The inability to um, conceive after a year of trying to conceive is the technical definition or parameters that you would define infertility. And so it had been a year and I had just not been able to understand how her entire being was wrapped up into this achievement of a dream of having a family. Yeah. Um, I now, you know, 13 years into marriage, um, I am, 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 am 12 years. 12 years. This is your 12th year. It's my 12th year. I got that wrong. <laughs> you know, I, at least I gave us more credit than Yeah, there you go. <laughs> at least I didn't undershoot that one. That's right. 12 years, I wish I could tell myself so many different things. However, the entire being um, of at least my wife, maybe not all females that go through this, um, was completely shaken. Yeah. Um, we, we talk in a lot of ways to a lot of people about infertility. We talk about the identity formation of it. We talk about the spiritual formation of it. We, we talk about what happens. And there is, there are, there are a, a, a small category of illnesses or diseases or um, physical maladies and limitations that affect um, the following areas in such a complete way. So it affects your finances yeah. because infertility treatment is really expensive. Adoption is also really expensive. Finding answers at a medical clinic is really expensive. Um, it affects your personal life and your friendships. It affects your intimacy life. Um, it affects um, so many facets, um, including like your professional life, yeah. inability to focus at work. Oh my gosh, I have a test upcoming. And now I failed that test or uh, or, or, or maybe let's say we got bad news from that test and now you're going back to work because you went on your lunch break to go have that test and you had that ultrasound or you had that scan or whatever it may be. And it affects every part of you because your very nature is to, um, or at least for, for, for the couples that want to procreate or the couples that want to raise a family, it, it affects every single part of you. And yeah. for the first two years, um, I was probably very young, immature and aloof. Hmm. And so I didn't really have the, 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 the full picture, like the full grasp exactly. of what, was, what this meant. 
Exactly. And so I am positive that I failed in a lot of areas of my emotional care over my wife in that season. I learned very quickly how to care for her um, because men by nature are avoiders. Yeah. We don't like to run into um, burning buildings unless it's actually a burning building. Yeah. The burning <laughs> building in our marriage or our home in that point is she wants to sit down for many hours of the day and talk about the pain, the ultrasound, the test, the miscarriage, yeah. the every, every detail that is nuanced to infertility. She wants to process that until uh, it has all been spoken for as a, as a husband, yeah. as a new husband, as a male. Um, I didn't understand what the need was because we hadn't arrived. And I was saying, well, let's just have another test. Let's just wait. Let's just get on a new diet. Let's just, and I'm looking for and trying to offer yeah, fixes totally. to an emotional problem that she doesn't really, yeah, yes, the end goal is to have a fix. But what she needed from me was for someone to care for her and hear her and understand her. Empathize. Be, correct. Care, you know. Care, and I, yeah. for that first two years, when I say I failed or when I say I could have done a better job, what I mean by that is instead of offering solutions, just offer myself. Yeah. And listening ears. Hmm. Speak less, listen more, empathize. I learned, I feel like I learned a lot as a pastor or, or you know, working at a church, yeah. caring for people. Uh, that would be considered like an elementary degree comparatively to what I learned in marriage going through infertility with my spouse, sure. which was like a doctorate of learning <laughs> compassionate care. Yeah. And so your question of how, how does it affect your relationship and what was that like? It affects every single part of you. Yeah. So as you guys, you know, as you guys learned and walked through that road of knowing that this was going to be a, a hardship that, that you were going to be walking through, enduring through, persevering through mm -hmm. for at that point, you didn't even know how long it would be. Right. You know, there was always that hope, like just this next thing, you know, is 100%. hope just, and then that thing would fall through or wouldn't, or, you know, the, the transfer wouldn't stick, whatever it was. Right. There was always this, all this next stuff. So what did it look like for you guys together as you were, you know, to learn how to keep walking through? I would say I went to school, uh, college, and I got a degree in communication. And I got a minor in leadership. And even those four years of schooling didn't prepare me for needing to have communication <laughs> and becoming a leader. Sure. Um, the irony is you can learn a lot in, in, in school, but nothing really prepares you for the real life other than the real life. And... Um,
What was your specific question? Sorry. <laughs> no, you're what kidding. What was your specific question? I just, I was about no. to go on a tangent and I realized I should have self-control. <laughs> um, as you guys were learning and, and kind of coming to terms that this is going to be a hardship to walk through for a while, that it's not just the first year or the second year, you know, that is you guys kept going. How did you guys start to think about how you're going to continue walking through, you know, this valley season? Okay. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Yes. It was day to day. It was minute to minute. Um, some days, some days the victory of your highs and lows of the day um, is truly just survival. And then there's days where um, you get ideas. There's days where you have inspiration. There's days where you feel bolstered in your faith and um, that faith carries you and you feel like, okay, I can lead her through this. Um, but it's, it's one thing to be able to take care of yourself. It's another thing to learn how to take care of someone else and putting aside your desires, uh, your inhibitions, your desire as a male for freedom and adventure. And when we realized that this journey was going to be much different and harder, um, you're always in the back of your mind thinking, does that mean next month? Yeah. And you don't really consider that it's going to be years. Yeah. And so... It's almost like you have to balance the long-term agenda or goal and the short-term. And you have to balance the hope with the faith. Yeah. You have to balance the, um, the, the finances in, in terms of, okay, well, if we eat out because she wants to have a, uh, a, a sad day meal or, you know, cup of ice cream. Well, we can't do that five days a week. We can't do that every day of the year where you don't feel like cooking or yeah. things like that. So it's, it's this balancing act that is a real challenge, but growth opportunity. And so to answer your question of what do you do? How, what was it like once you realized that this, was actually a thing. You just got to take it day to day while at the very same time keeping the end goal in mind and not losing track of the desire of the heart, which is to raise a family and not just to raise a family so you can post a picture online and say, I have a family that's beautiful. Yeah. But to truly build a family upon a foundation that you're trying to create while everything is crumbling. Yeah. There's a few things that, that I, I noticed in being, being friends and so close with you guys yeah. in this. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on these things that I noticed in, in what you guys or I, I don't even know if this was intentional and you're welcome to talk about if it, this sure. was intentional or unintentional or, or whatever. But some things that I noticed in you guys that I think have truly helped you guys, you know, just keep going and keep in getting to the place where you are is 
the open communication that you guys have with each other, the honesty that, that, that you and, and your wife have with each other about where you're at at any given moment and that it's okay to not be on the same page. It's okay to, you know, and, and it's okay to share where you're at, how you're feeling in, on that given day and that you guys make that space and they give that grace for each other. If you're just like, you know, at a place where I'm just over IVF in, in treatments today, I want to be done and that's okay to share that. Or, you know, or it's, hey, I'm feeling exceptionally sad today and that's okay. And so was that something intentional that you, that you guys talked about, worked through together? Like we're going to be as open and honest with each other as possible or is it just kind of out of your nature? <laughs> um, maybe it's a little both and. I think it's a really awesome insight and I will accept that encouragement and compliment <laughs> um, because it was a lot of hard work. To stay the course. And what I mean by that is to wake up daily with the desire to work on the marriage in the marriage. To work on the building of the family. And to balance everything else that life had at the same time. So one of the things that I think as you were talking and mentioning such a kind compliment, the, the honesty and the drive for communication, clarity, uh, and, and honesty comes out of a place in my own heart of compassion. Um, I have, I have a, um, I have compassion to a fault. <laughs> um, it's very deep within me to um, to sit with the brokenhearted. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very deep within me to care for the pains of others. Um, as a child, I went through a lot. Uh, I had um, I had three open heart surgeries by the time that I was ten, not counting the other all those other all the other yeah. you know doctors visits, thousands of doctors visits and overnight stays that taught me the loneliness in the hospital as a child taught me I never want to be alone mm -hmm. the having bad nurses or care staff taught me um, to be there with joy <coughs> to be there with optimism to be there with honesty um, for everyone in my life I carried a lot of those lessons into marriage and to the friendships that I've built through life. I also have another side of that development of me where part of my family is from the South and there is a, um, there's a lot of wonderful, wonderful, wonderful things about Southern hospitality. But there can be a, a moment, if I'm going to be very honest here, to say that it's that it's almost typical to see people um, only want to talk about the good things. Sure. And so I had grown up with um, a world in that talking about hard things was almost avoided because conflict and tears was painful, too painful to face or too uncomfortable to face. And so 
uncomfortable situations yeah. um, are something that we try to avoid. I then take all of those things from my childhood, from schooling, all of that, and I bring it into this marriage where I'm absolutely in love. And at the same time, I'm absolutely brokenhearted that her, uh, that her heart is brokenhearted. Yeah. And so what that does to you is if you're willing to consider the needs of others, uh, in this case, my spouse, over my own, then I have to avoid um, the easy thing to do, which is to avoid conflict, sure. which is to um, avoid hard conversations, avoid all of those things. Yeah, it's not and genuine. I, no. It's not, yeah. It's and not so honest. I learned very quickly how to balance humor <laughs> and honesty. Yeah. And that brought us intimacy. Yeah, you guys do a great job of that. And I and I thank you very much. So yes, the the that's a long answer. Um, no, but it's it's emphasizing the that importance. Yeah, is that by by being you know honest with yourself, but both you and Alex do a good job of being honest of where right. you're at at any right. given time. Like even if it's hard for the other person to hear in theory, right. it's good because it's it's establishing that trust. It's establishing yeah. safety. Is right. you're creating a safe environment to feel whatever you're going to be feeling at that time. Right. You can't anticipate how you're going to feel tomorrow, let alone ten minutes from now, especially as you're walking through difficult seasons. Right. And so pre-establishing that hey, this is a safe space. Right. I love you. And I have compassion for you, no matter what you're feeling. Yeah. And her to you. Right. Um, most of the time, her to you. <laughs> <I'm joking>. <laughs> <laughs> sure. uh, there's two other things that I observed that I want to mention. I'd and love call that. Out. Yeah. The second one is the importance for each individual. At the beginning, you talked about the three chords of a marriage, right? You have your individual person, you have her individual person, then you have the relationship. So it's important for each individual person to have people in their life that they can connect to and say, hey, I'm just feeling really uh, not great about all this today. Or it's a, you know, it's a rough day. And, you know, in that importance, can you talk about how you, like the importance of that in your life? Wow. That is another great insight, Jason. If guys don't have uh, friends that they can go to and have a deep and meaningful conversation beyond just the coffee talk, the, the field talk, all of that, um, then they're going to be in a world of hurt. And what I mean by that is guys often um, don't know how to build friends. That's that would be a majority. Yeah. Men don't know how to build deep, meaningful relationships. And um, I would say having been blessed with a community of people that were like minded that would be willing to check in and text. Um, hey, haven't seen you for a while. Hey, you look sad tonight at this event. Are you doing OK? There is nothing more important than um, 
in the terms of male friendship, then yes, it is important to have fun. Yes, it is important to goof off and let the let the 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 weight of life's problems kind of roll off your back here and there for sure. But there, uh, there is a scripture in the Bible that says. Um, There's a man that sticks closer than a brother. And you have to find brotherhood in the midst of suffering. And she has to find sisterhood yeah. in the midst of suffering. Because if all day, every day, it's just you and the spouse, uh, and there's no break, there's no separation for a few hours a day where you're going to, whether it be work or go hang out with friends or or just even mentally check out and go call someone and have someone call you and text them and communicate. Yeah. If you don't have that authentically where you're able to build a friendship with someone that you can call on a day that you're weeping as a man and say, I'm having a hard day. Can you pray for me? Hmm. Could you come over? Could we go get, you know, a sandwich? Yeah. Could we go get a cup of coffee? And and we sometimes wait. It's very it's easier to just wait for someone to call you than it is to call them. Let me let me give you a really really short aside to that. When I was a child, I remember very vividly my my I dealt with a lot of um uh self-doubt, isolation, um a, a little bit of like you know, being made fun of as a kid, all of those things. I remember my parents one day came up to me and I was having a really hard time because I was lonely and I was waiting. Um, I think I had just gotten a cell phone and um, I was waiting for someone to call me. And my dad said something to me that has really marked the course of my own communication with other people. My dad said, Philip, that phone may never ring. But whose phone are you making ring? Mm -hmm. And essentially what he's saying is, you can sit here, feel bad for yourself all day. You can sit here and be frustrated that um, all of this situation is overwhelming and it is it is driving you to a breaking point and it is making you feel like you're a failure and you're going nowhere and this situation is never going to change. Or you can find someone that is also in a situation where they need a friend. And instead of, even though you need a friend at that moment, if you call them and just take your burdens and set them aside and look for the burdens of others and go meet someone else's needs, that became the juice that caused the entire relationship of our marriage um, to flow so beautifully. And I was able to take that lesson as a child, turn it into and teach my wife how to do that and teach her how to say to her friends, I'm having a hard day. Can we go out to coffee? I'm struggling today. And then in those intermixed relationships with our friends and their couples and everyone, able to advocate for, hey, will you go and spend some time with Alex? Yeah. Hey, will you go take her out to coffee? Here's 20 bucks. Don't tell her that I'm paying. Just 
you pay with this $20. Yeah. And not let the burden be on someone else, but the blessing be on someone else. That they then, in their life, get to feel that reward as well. Because when we go through burdens, when we go through hardships, when we go through pain, we often focus so strictly upon ourselves and how we're feeling and how others perceive us that we forget that other people are struggling too. Yeah. And if we can, in the midst of all circumstances, figure out how to bounce the ball back in conversation, ask about their day, yeah. tell me how you're feeling about your work day, tell me how you're feeling about the pain that you're going through. Are you guys going through in your marriage anything that's difficult? Tell me about your family. I haven't seen your parents in a while. How are they doing? And we learned how to bounce the ball back and we learned how to be focused on others in the midst of our own pain. And that in itself caused that pressure to just talk about painful things off of us so that one, it didn't bog our friends down and they didn't have to talk about our pain all the time. Sure. Two, we would use humor and watch movies and go hang out. And so like yeah. we tried to make life as normal as possible. And three, it would ultimately build friendships that my wife needed yeah. and I'm the extrovert. She's the introvert. And so by me going out and finding those friendships for her, yeah. by me going out and encouraging her or encouraging her friends to hang out, it really allowed her to take that every minute, every day, fear the future and put that attention onto someone else. You go home feeling and my day was rough, but at least I got to be there for someone else. Yeah, that kind of hits on the third third thing that I was going to mention. The third observation that I had of you guys was the impact that having an open door policy. So you guys mm. would like to say that you had an open door policy oh, yeah. at your house. People could just show up. Yep. Um, um, some people could just show up <laughs> and whatnot. But everyone is, yeah. No. But what that did by having that open door mentality is it created the environment so that when the hard seasons happened, when the hard days happened, people, so I'll use us as an example, right? Is we felt like we could just, that, that if we knew something bad had happened that day, we didn't wait or whatever we would just come over right. and just say we're gonna climb in bed with you <laughs> bring you with you guys yeah. and we're, we're just gonna love on you guys yeah. and, and just be you know and just spend the day and that's be that's because of that sorry i'm knocking my mic around that's because of that open door right policy that you right. had established right so having that sort of environment that you guys um made mm -hmm. you know i think that's an i think that's you don't necessarily think of it on, and how this will impact mm -hmm. those hard days yeah. is you think about it like, yeah, yeah, come over, we'll have fun, you know, whatever. Right. But what that does is it, it leads to that when those hard days happen, you know, those friends who come over, they, they will, and they'll just come over on those, you know. Man, that, the open door policy, um, I think, was also a bit of a rebellion <laughs> to the house that I grew up in. Oh. <laughs> um, my parents were great and they had a lot of friends. My mom is so good at making friends. She is, my mom is amazing. But there would be, there would be like times that people could come over and then times that no one can come over. Sure. And then there were like times that 
I was just unsure if people could come over. Yeah. And it's nothing to them. It was just this wonderful house. And I think they built a very secure, um, family-oriented, safe environment. I thought that was terrific. There's a part of the open-door policy that happened because I realized that we needed community. Like, And I feel like, maybe I'm being selfish with this, but we needed community more than others because of what we were going through. Sure. And there was a part of me that wasn't very Southern and would say, um, you come over whenever, and I'm just going to barge in. Actually, it was just at the um, park the other day as we're traveling here to California for a few days and they came in and I was talking to them and they said, you know, one thing that I just wanted to let you know that was such a blessing and it changed our family dynamic was how you would come over at night with a dessert uh, and we would go out and just say, hey, let's for 15 minutes, all I want is 15 minutes of your time. Let's play a game of cards and we brought a dessert and we would show up to this you know, couple's house. You guys would do the same, just show up. And you and your wife helped to meet our needs, which was community and someone to just put their arm around us in the midst of that infertility and say, hey, um, you're not alone. And hey, uh, I care to listen to your pain and sit with you in your tears. And I care um, so much that I'm willing to just drop in unannounced. Mm -hmm. And yes, there is a point to say that safety is needed. Of course, in our generation, I would say that maybe it's needed a little more than, than <laughs> sure. when I grew up biking down five miles without a cell phone sure. you know, to the local convenience store. But I would say the open door policy is not an invitation um, for um, it's not an invitation for yourself to say the house has to always be cleaned. Yeah. Everything has to be prepared. None of that. What it, what I mean by that is come as you are. When, 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 when we see Jesus do this, he's walking in unannounced to places. Mm -hmm. He's showing up on their front door. And if they don't accept him, dust, dust the dirt off your sandals and, and go to the next house that will accept you. Mm -hmm. I wanted my home to be a place for sinners and for saints, for friends and for strangers. And I wanted my home to be a representation of everything that I had read in the Bible about what Jesus was calling me to. And having a closed door and not having friends over because we were sad or all of that was not the answer. Yeah, it, More isolation leads to more isolation. Mm -hmm. And breaking down those walls leads to freedom. And not having your house ready but someone coming in unannounced, what does that lead to? Someone using their gift to help you clean up. Yep to make a meal for you, to sit with you. And I remember so vividly your wife, Alicia, sitting in bed as Alex is just can't even get out of bed. I think we had had like a failed transfer. Yeah. And you guys came over with a dessert and your wife 
She got in bed and just sat there, just hugging my wife. I remember those. And what that says is, I'm willing to go to the places of that pit with you. Sending a text when someone has a bad day is awesome. Making a call is awesome. Going the extra mile is showing up to their house. Yeah. And I I just, again, I love that that is the result of how you guys had established friendships and wanting to, and how you had created this, these environment for these friendships yeah. to happen. Right. What may I jump in and say one thing real quick? No. Yes. There's a book called the hiding place. Uh, Corey Ten Boom writes this book about her experience in the Holocaust. And she, she has this quote that has, has allowed me to minister to others more than many quotes. And she says, there is no pit so deep that God's love does not go deeper still. That, quote, her ability to recognize that no matter how low in life she goes, that God will meet her and is willing to go there. I want to make my life a representation of the love of Jesus. And so, if other people are in a deep, dark pit, I have to be willing to go to them and be there and live in that with them and not be afraid or or waiting until they're all better and now we can hang out. No, what it, hospitality, what it means is I'm going to host you. I'm going to let you into my home and I'm going to make things look good or make things clean or maybe none of that. Maybe all it means is you're just hosting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it means that you're you're able to facilitate the relationship to a deeper level because they're in your home. When we get to go and help people and go into their pit with them, it brings intimacy. Mm-hmm. And by what you and your wife did for us, that made our friendship better. What we were able to do for other people made our relationships with them better Mm -hmm. because we were able to tear down all of the walls of what was um, good and what was normal and turn it into a house of hospitality and a house of, healing yeah because when you go and love on someone in that element not only are you healing them but your heart too is being healed oh yeah totally true i got i have have two more questions for you okay (laughs) i feel like we could talk about this for ever oh we could and i'm sure we will get back to it again at some point (laughs) okay the the infertility hardship is not something that you guys are even fully through yet. 
I know those things are still going on in your guys' life. You have three beautiful daughters. Right. Yet yeah. infertility and all that that entails sure. is still something sure. that you guys are walking through. So sure. I'm just curious, yeah. how do you guys think about it now? And, and what is the difference like from how how you process things and what is like when you guys first started out in those exceptionally hard years, you know, and then now it's been, you know, as you said, it's what, almost 11 years that you guys mm-hmm. have been walking through yep. infertility stuff. So how is it different? Um, I have to be honest here. So what's different now is less pressure, Hmm. right? Um, it's, it, it doesn't feel like the weight on us is like it was, you know, 11 years ago, Mm. 10 years ago, nine years ago, eight years ago, all of that. So there's more worship and less lamenting now Hmm. be because, and I, and I hate it. part of part of me struggles when I answer this because I, I know in deeply that there are people going on 10 plus years of infertility yeah. without an adoption story, yeah. without a miracle pregnancy, without all of that. And to that, I have so much compassion for. And with that, I would love to hug every single couple that's going through that, of course. But as the years go by and you're able to um, have children, whether through foster care or adoption or, um, or biologically, um, the years that pass take the pain and make it uh, into a dull pain instead of a sharp pain, hmm. right? That's, that's true with life and in all different pains sure. of life. But I feel as though we internalize less, we get paralyzed less mentally of what's next. Those questions diminish and the the questions of how now can we help others is usually on the forefront of our minds instead of how now can we help ourselves. Hmm. No, I think that's, I think that's, that's powerful and true as you guys have walked through so much you guys, the whole time you guys have been processing and learning and how to think about things. And you've done that with other people in community. You've done it, the two of you together. Mm-hmm. You've even processed some of the stuff with your kids oh, yeah. too, you know, oh, and yeah. whatnot. So, so having that, having talked it through and been so much, it gives you a different vision, a different way of seeing things. And that's just, that's natural right. as you guys are doing that. It's not that the pain still isn't there. Sure. It's not that. You know, if there was another failed transfer or whatever sure, it was, sure, sure, that, that sure. it still doesn't need that, that there's the pain still comes with that. Yeah. You know, the the disappointment, the you know, the frustration still there. But having processed having been through so much and walked hand in hand as you guys have mm-hmm. for so long through it, it, it as you said, it's just a little bit different mm-hmm. than before. Yeah, I I would certainly say it's different. And I would certainly say that the thing that's the thing that might be more different than anything is is honestly the maturity in our marriage yeah um the ability for us to look back and say look what we've been through that's a pretty powerful um fuel totally to be able to get through the next thing 
we're always going to have something. Everyone has their something. Not everyone goes through infertility. Um, you know, I, I would say that the statistics um, are somewhat true, but you don't hear about a lot of people going through infertility because they're going through it alone. It's a silent, yeah. It's a silent, yes. It's a silent um, issue. And having been where we've been and having be, been now where we are, I would say that our gratitude and our, um, our level of love towards our three girls is cataclysmically greater <laughs> sure. than I think had we not gone through because we know where we've been and we know where we are yeah. and we know what could have been. And so because we have them, we don't really worry as much about the future. Yeah. We say, man, if God wants to bring us more children, if, if, if we're going to maybe take steps in the future towards adoption again, um, it has very little to do with filling a hole in our heart and more of bringing people into our home yeah. and raising a generation of children who love and have compassion, who become resilient, who can mature, and who can be as cliche as it sounds, world changers, right? And 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 kids that this next generation desperately needs. Yeah. So if I have a motivation to have more children, it's honestly because what I look in this generation and I see, I say, I know I can do that better as a parent, <laughs> and I know what we can do together as a community is raise the next generation of children who are velvet-covered bricks. <laughs> They're soft on the exterior. Sure. Compassionate, kind, loving, sacrificial, smart, all those things. But on the inside, they're strong. Yeah. And I want to build a generation of kids that are strong. They're velvet-covered bricks. And so, yes, I we grieve less. We have more fun. We... We have so much more gratitude sure. and our children are totally and completely spoiled because we've chosen <laughs> a professional life where we can be with them every day. Yeah. And we've gotten to have that incredible gift yeah. of being able to work from home and let them into our world and have them be there for all the honest conversations and the hard conversations and the good conversations. And yet, um, all still while hoping um, and praying that um, if there is a future for more for more children, yeah. then so be it. But it's not going to change. Uh, it's not going to change the course of of my day or turn me into misery or make me sad in the way that it did when there was no children yeah. in the home because we longed. We longed for chaos. We longed for a messy house. We longed for late nights. Yep. And we would, Alex would tell you that in the heat of it all, she would do anything to change a poopy diaper. Yeah. I remember her. <laughs> I remember <laughs> and her. And so that. what it did was it changed that once she was, uh, once she was raising them, 
the the admission of the pain in the past turned into this absolute passion. My wife is such an incredible mother. I feel like she mothers better than I father. She's phenomenal. And and it and it has she has turned into that because she knows what a gift it is to have these children. She's not listening to this. You don't need to suck up to her. Oh no, she's not. But she still deserves she deserves all the accolades. She's an absolutely incredible companion and I I would be I would be nowhere without her. She's she's such a gift. Yeah. Yeah, we love her. Uh, so to put a bow on yeah. our conversation, for anybody who is listening right now who just finds themselves in this pit that you had talked about, yeah. whether it's because of infertility or whatever reason, is there is any uh, encouragement or advice or offering that you want to give to them as we're wrapping up? Yeah. Um, don't sugarcoat your pain and don't hide it. Tell someone how uh, deep that struggle is. Tell someone how painful those lonely moments are. Be vulnerable enough to share that pain. Um, by sharing your pain, um, I really truly believe that you will be met um, eventually with people that care. Yeah. Um, start a message in the bottle or like a journal hmm. and start writing out because when you... When, when you do get to the next painful season, and I do mean that, you will get through what you're going through. You, you will, you, it will change you. It will, it will the, the, the degree at which that suffering is currently will likely change. Some for the better, some for the worse, some different pains. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if I've got a broken foot and I stub and I, and I hit my hand with a hammer, for, for a moment, I'm going to stop thinking about my broken foot and I'm going to sure. only be focusing on on my what what the hammer hit yeah and so there is going to be a season um coming up that you will want to know how bad it was so journal it write it down mm. talk about it and use that as um stepping stones of faith building yeah uh for the husbands don't look away don't look around don't leave your spouse don't be a statistic of divorce. Um, men, the charge for you in infertility is to be a man, which means not running away from hard things, which means being emotionally available for your spouses, which means loving on them, sacrificing for them, and and learning how to communicate um, in a very patient way. Yeah, that will that will make you more of a warrior than going to run you know a hundred miles yeah uh and then for her breathe um just breathe uh for the woman that's going through infertility now this mess this this season um can become your message can become a moment of inspiration for your friends so use that pain yeah to help others use that pain to make you more compassionate for someone who has a different pain and use, use this entire season um, to remember these moments because one day you will achieve what you want to achieve or you may not, 
but you will mature if you take the necessary steps to dig in, build community, um, and focus on the love that um, God has for you and what others want to give you only if you open up and share that pain. Mm. Phil, thanks for being here. No, thank you for inviting me. Thanks for your time and for just all the wisdom gained gain through experience. It's powerful. Um, I'll put links to where you can find Phil and Alex's uh, stuff, their story, their content, their YouTube channel in the show notes below so you can see all that. Um, and Philip, I, I feel like we will have, we have more to talk about in the future. Oh, I feel like sure. we could just keep going. For sure. <laughs> for sure. Well, that's because, uh, when you get together with your friends, um, that you haven't seen in a while face to face, that, uh, that conversation is just continues. Yeah. The number of people who've walked by this office, uh, since we've been recording and have seen you and have stopped and go, wait, he's here uh, like, yeah, is so <laughs> that's good. <laughs> Think yeah. of other people who want to say hi. Uh, so we'll leave it there. Friends. We love you, and uh, we'll see you uh, again for Doable Discipleship next week. If you enjoyed this episode, consider giving us a rating or review on iTunes. If you do, you'll help other people find us in the future. You can also listen to these episodes on YouTube. Just subscribe to the Saddleback Church YouTube channel for these conversations, plus lots of other video content. And if you are already listening to us on YouTube, subscribe to the Doable Discipleship Podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app so you can listen in the car or wherever else you go. Don't forget to visit saddleback.com slash doable to check out all of our previous episodes. And go to saddleback.com slash grow to find spiritual growth resources and view a calendar of upcoming events. Lastly, you can always get in touch with us by emailing maturity at saddleback.com. Send us your thoughts, Send us your questions, your Bible questions, your life questions, whatever. Who knows? Your question might just inspire an upcoming episode. Thanks again for tuning in to Doable Discipleship. I'm Jason Whelan, and I hope you'll join us again next week.